Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall be the sound of weeping heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be, will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King Quest while the rest of us are seated. Thank you, Marsha, for reading Isaiah 65. I think it's just appropriate to say thanks be to God and call it a day. Because after a vision like that, you're like, yes, amen. What else is there to say? Come, Lord Jesus, come. I mean, that's honestly uh, what is evoked, uh, I think, by that passage. Um, But in trusting that God does have more to say, uh, let's pray and ask that God would speak and that we would have ears to hear. Lord God, we need you to speak by your Spirit to us. We need the courage to have ears to hear. We need your strength so that we might be bold to live into what it is you've given us to live into, what you've called us to do. God, we, we know that your word is, is something we, we have as a gift. 
but I pray that you that you would use it in our lives to cut us cut into us deeply to shape us and to form us into your likeness it's in Jesus name we pray amen so we're in a series on the Lord's Prayer and we've been looking at this prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples that Jesus gave to us in order that it might shape the way that we pray, that it might shape our lives in such a way that, that we come to want what it is God wants. That the prayer is an invitation into friendship with Christ um, and with one another. And it's, and it's an invitation to have an, our imagination captured by God and renewed and reformed. And it's an invitation to see God's vision for the good life um, in, in more clarity than our own visions, that we would begin to see how we are operating out of the sense of the good life and have Jesus inform it. Because Jesus is the one who came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And this prayer is a prayer that grabs hold of us in such a way that our lives become, as it's bent toward God, um, shaped and formed by God. The prayer, it, it, the way that it works is it, it, it grabs hold of us um, in such a way that it goes after the very core of who we are. Um, James K.A. Smith says this, and he's done a, James Smith has done a lot of work in, in the sense of, we, of, of attacking our loves. And he says, our right belief doesn't necessarily produce the actions that we would desire, but rather what we love will in turn shape and affect the way that we live. And so he says this, that Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. And this prayer, as we pray it, goes after nothing less than our wants, our loves, and our longings. And we've been on a journey together praying through this. And I really hope that you have been praying through this prayer. That it's been something that you've incorporated into your life. It's something I have, and I've, I've, I'm constantly um, shaped and convicted and realize how much of my life is often out of step with the way that, that Christ has invited me into his life and into what he wants and into praying the way that he Praise. And again, a, f- a further invitation to have you come and pray with us. So for October and November, we've been having people over at my house, Beth's house, and we've been praying together. Tonight's at Beth's house. Um, so I would love for you, she's not here because she's at the Psalms retreat, but if all of you came and she gets home and then she has to figure out what to do with all of you, that would make me so happy. Um, so it, just an invitation to do that because it has been a really wonderful time to pray with you. It's been an opportunity for us, I think, to be shaped together. This week, um, I prayed specifically with, with two men, and throughout the week, they were on my mind, and I trust, I hope, I was on their mind too. Uh, but it, it became an opportunity for me to, to take them up before God and to be praying uh, for them and for us to be praying with each other. So it's been a, a wonderful opportunity to do that. Uh, so your kingdom come, your will be done. And I suggested that the attention that the prayer brings us into it's first this sense of God's uh, closeness as a father, but then it's this, this heavenward looking, right? Our father in heaven. 
And then there are three petitions that really focus in on who God is and what he's up to. That God would make holy his name. And we talked about God's holiness, God's otherness, but also God's holiness making us holy through Christ and the Spirit. That we are holy because God is holy. And we are called to be holy because God himself is holy. But then these next two petitions we're going to take together. And as I was preparing this, I was like, why did I do that? Because there's a lot to cover. Uh, but they, they really are one in the same. You can't pray one without being led to pray into the other. That God would make his kingdom come. And that he would make his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this idea of God's kingdom and will. What are we praying for when we pray that God's kingdom would come. And that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, this language of kingdom of God, if you've been around grace for any period of time, then you, you kind of have a sense of what that might mean. That God in Christ came to bring his good rule and reign to the world. That Jesus, that a major part of his ministry was talking about and putting on display the kingdom of God. And we see this throughout the Gospels. In Matthew four seventeen, Jesus says this, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we're told that he went through Galilee. And he began to heal those who were sick. He began to cast out demons. He began to give sight to the blind. As if to say that God's kingdom coming in Jesus meant that it would have these types of effects. In Mark 1, 14 through 15, it says, Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There's a sense that Jesus saying the kingdom of God is at hand, which means that there is to be a turn. That all of a sudden God's inbreaking in the world means that there is a response that we are to have. One turning away from our old way of life, our own kingdoms, our own wills, and turning toward and living into God's reign and rule. But also in Mark, we see that immediately following this, there's a story after story of the good news that Jesus is proclaiming and the effects that it has in the actual life of people in the earth. That the good news of the kingdom of God, as Jesus describes, means restoration, reconciliation, healing, exorcism. That that which was wrong, that which was chaotic, is now whole and there's peace. Luke 4, 18 through 19, Jesus says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's speaking to, to the scribes and to the Pharisees. And he says, because God, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it continues in verses 42 through 43. Of Luke 4 says, And when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him. And they would have kept him from leaving them, but he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, freedom to the oppressed, sight to the blind, that the kingdom of God and its inbreaking in earth actually has effect. That the Jesus whom we worship, whom we proclaim as the one who is God himself here, is this meeting of heaven and earth 
which means that things cannot remain the same. It means that healing takes place. It means that sickness is no more. It means that those who are dead can be raised to life. Those who are blind can see. It's crazy when we read this and think, this happened in the person of Jesus Christ. That God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, in flesh and blood, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and it made a difference. It made a difference in what was. It made a difference on earth. And that is why, notice when we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. We heard read Isaiah 65, this image, this vision that God gives to the people of Israel of what will happen when he restores them. He says there will be joy. There will be no more crying. Children will grow old. The older people will fill out their days. People will build houses and live in them. Vineyards will be planted. The wolf and lamb shall live together, and there will be no more war. What is talked about here is this idea of shalom. That what God wanted and intended for the world to be will become what it is. Whole, good, beautiful. In all of its glory, we are praying God's kingdom to come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it has begun in the person of Jesus. Dallas Willard describes the kingdom of God as like this. He says, the kingdom of God is the range of his effective will. That is, it is the domain where what he prefers is actually what happens. So what are we praying when we pray, God, make your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We are praying and asking that what God wants will take place. And what God wants is nothing less than for everything to be made right in the world. We have this vision in Isaiah 65. You fast forward to Revelation 21. It's this vision of God coming to earth, that filling the earth with his glory and with his light. And it says that there will be no more weeping. There will be no more death. All will be what it was intended to be because God has made it whole and good. When we pray, God, make your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying for no less than this. This is the the work that we've been given to do, to pray and to ask that God will do on earth what it is he wants. What is taking place in heaven, in the presence of God, all things being the way they're supposed to be, would take place now. And it is not some distant, some far-off idea or ideal, but we are praying that it would take place on earth as it is in heaven. So notice that in this prayer so far, as we begin, we begin with turning our attention to God as Father in heaven, that his name would be holy, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done, and our attention is pulled down again. Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That all of a sudden, our attention turning from God and who he is and his kingdom now to the earth around us. That what we see is to take on a different sense, a new significance. That we are to pray that the world around us would become more like the way God wants it to be. How might this type of prayer shape us? 
if this was truly to be our prayer and we were truly to have our attention turned toward the world around us, praying that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, how might this prayer shape us? Well, first, I think it would renew our imagination. Then in praying this prayer, we would be shaped to have a renewed imagination that we would see the world differently. That we would begin to see the world as possibility, as opportunity for God to make himself known. That the world around us isn't simply resigned to be what it is. You look at the world, I imagine, you read the news, things look rather bleak. We hear all the time of, of things happening that, in the way that they're not supposed to be, contrary to how God would want. And it's easy to be resigned to the fact that that is how it will always be. But praying this prayer reminds us that there is opportunity, there is necessity for God to break into the world, to remake the world, that his, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of a sudden, we would look at the injustice and the racism and the inequality and the systemic oppression and the violence and the wars, and then we wouldn't say, oh, what we need to do are hire or, or elect different officials. The right party needs to be in office. We need to be activists. We need to be doing this or that. No, this problem, the problems that we see in the world are so much bigger than any of that, and they require nothing less than for us to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is, there is nothing, there is nothing that could fix the way things are apart from the God who has come to us in Jesus, who died and was raised again. It helps us be honest this prayer about the world around us and what it needs. But it helps us be honest about ourselves, to look within ourselves, to name the brokenness, the selfishness, the anger, the apathy, the invulnerability, the hiding, the addictions. And to say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and I am part of this earth. We are part of this earth. The problems that we cannot get away from, because wherever we run, there we are. The problems we cannot get away from, we need nothing less than God's work through Jesus, by the Spirit, to reform and reshape who we are from the inside out, from our, in our hearts, to be people who are different. We don't need more self-help books. We certainly don't need more podcasts. We, <laughs> we don't need cat videos on YouTube. We don't, honestly, like the list can go on. These are things that do not work. If you have tried to reform yourself or to change without the power of God as revealed in Jesus through the Spirit, then I bet you, you go right back to where you were. And what, is, what you find there is despair. And sadness and hopelessness because there is no way out. But there is. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying for nothing less than the power of God, how God wants things to be, to happen now, to happen in the world around us, to happen within us, so that we are changed. It helps us to be honest about the church. We look around and it's easy, right, to just disregard the church. 
The church is nothing but infighting and disunity. But God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we think that we are going to find unity because we all agree on the the same things in the exact same way, newsflash, not true. (laughs) But God, by Jesus' power, through the Spirit, might make something new in us, bring us together in a way that we never thought possible Not because we started all being nice to each other and started agreeing together, but we are held by something more. And that is the unity that the Spirit has made possible already, already given to us in Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It renews our imagination to see the world, ourselves, the church differently. And it also gives us a renewed hope. Because we need hope. The church needs hope. If it is to keep attempting, trying, by God's power, to bear witness to him in the world, we need hope. Because it's hard. And it's difficult. But it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. And Paul goes on, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's why we can have a renewed hope. Because God is making things new. What he begun in Jesus is still going and still continuing. And things are being made new. And you know where it's starting? Here. With you. With me. With us. Through Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. There is new creation. You, if you are connected to Jesus, are new creation. That which was old is now new. Because God has pulled you into his life through Jesus, by his spirit. And things are different. You are new creation. When God sends you to wherever it is you work, where you, where you live, the neighborhood where you were placed, the teams on which your, your kids are playing, new creation. You are new creation. God, kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where is it being done? If we are connected to Jesus in our lives through the Spirit and where we are, God's kingdom is coming. Because we have been made new in Jesus. You are nothing less than new creation if you are in Christ. You are new. If you are holding on to your old life, whatever that might be, filled with shame and darkness and despair, if, you are, if your life is hidden with Christ in God, you are new creation. There is hope for you, for me, for us, for the church. We have a renewed hope when we pray God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But there's this already not yet 
feel to the kingdom, right? Sure, we can talk about, I can talk about myself being new creation. You can talk about you being new creation, the church being a pocket or a place of new creation. But if the kingdom has come, then why, is it, why are things the way that they still are? Why am I still the way that I am? Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. So we're in good company with the Apostle Paul, if that's how you feel. So how can we say, God, your kingdom is, is now. It has come in Jesus. But there's, an, there's a not yet component to the reality of the kingdom. And that is the tension of the Christian life and the tension that we are called into, to live into, and the tension in which we live out our calling to bear witness to the truth, to the true story of the world, that God has come in Jesus and things are not the same. Things cannot possibly be the same. And we look forward to Revelation 21, when God will come to earth, when things are made new, when death will be no more, And we say, that is our song. That is the prayer we're praying, and we pull it into the present so that it reshapes the way that we live and how we think about the world as being reconciled to God in Jesus. Stanley Hauerwas and William Willman say this, We are able to live hopefully in a fallen yet being redeemed world because of the one, Jesus, who has taught us to pray this way. As Christians, to us has been given the grace to know that we live between the times. Having seen the fullness of God in Jesus Christ, yet also knowing that all the world not yet fulfilled is God's world. That tension, stretched as we are between what is ours now in Christ and that which is yet promised, is our role as God's people. We, you and I, are living, breathing evidence that God has not abandoned the world. We are continually and fervently to pray that God's kingdom come because we know that God's will has been done. We are able to be honest about all the ways in which this world is not the kingdom of God in its fullness and to hope for more because we know that God's will has yet to be done. God's kingdom has yet to come. We are able to live without despair in the world's present situation because even in us, God has claimed a bit of enemy territory has wrestled something from the forces of evil and death. That reclaimed, renovated territory is us. Amen. We, you and I, are living, breathing evidence that God has not abandoned the world. Have you ever thought about the church that way? That we are evidence to the world that God is not done? That you and I and together as new creation tell the true story of the world? Guess what? God is with us. God is remaking us. What is now won't be forever. The cancer, the sickness, the death, the unforgiveness, the breaking up of marriages... The foster care system, those things will not be in the new creation. And it is beginning in us. And we testify to the fact that God has not abandoned the world. Desmond Tutu, an Anglican bishop, South African, 
who did some work during, during our part, apartheid, was asked, how, how can you have hope in this situation? And he said, they can't win. I've read the end of the story. I want to live that way. I want to live with that renewed sense of hope. What we see won't be forever because I've read the end of the story. And as people who've been remade and reshaped by Jesus through the Spirit, we are to live into the end of the story so that the end becomes in the present. And that is what we are called to do. But also, this prayer renews our patience. Because all of a sudden we start talking about kingdom and will. We're confronted with we're not praying for our own. I'm not praying for my kingdom, for my good ideas, for my will. I'm praying for God's, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. And this is an affront to all the good ideas that I have. And I have a lot of them. (laughs) But it renews our patience because it reminds us that if we're talking about God's kingdom and will, we're talking about God's timing also. That God has his agenda and the way that he works And it's not as fast as I wish he would. But without this prayer shaping us and the way that we think and pray, all of a sudden we think we can take matters into our own hands. And the world and its history and the stories that are told is one sometimes long sad story of kingdoms and governments and churches or people taking matters into their own hands and building their kingdoms on earth, making their will be done. And when that happens, there is only ever violence and despair and tragedy and disunity. This prayer renews our patience because it reminds us in whom we can trust, which is nothing less than the God who revealed himself in Jesus than the Father in heaven who is holy and completely committed to us. The one who came to us and whose power took the form of dying on a cross. For you, for me, for the world. Philippians 2, it said that Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross and that he was raised to glory by God and it was by God's doing. But that is the form of power that we see displayed in God. What does his kingdom come look like? What does his will be done? It's a self-giving, a completely selfless outpouring of who he is. No less, that is how we are to be sent into the world to bear witness to his kingdom. It's nothing less than giving our whole Selves for the sake of the world to bear witness to the love that God has shown us, that God has shown his entire creation. I want to end with this quote by N.T. Wright. And he says, To pray thy kingdom come means seeing the world in binocular vision. See it with the love of the creator for his spectacularly beautiful creation. And see it with the deep grief of the creator for the batter." For the battered, battle-scarred state in which the world now finds itself. 
We are praying as Jesus was praying and acting for the redemption of the world, for the radical defeat and uprooting of evil, and for heaven and earth to be married at last, for God to be all in all. And if we pray this way, we must, of course, be prepared to live this way. We can only pray this prayer for the church if we are prepared to mean, make us kingdom bearers. Make us a community of healed healers. Make us a returned orchestra to play the kingdom music until the world takes up the song. Makes us, in turn, servants of the Lord, the few with the message for many. The metaphor that here that, that Wright uses is one in which when Jesus came and the kingdom came in Jesus, when heaven met earth, what Jesus was writing was the most beautiful piece of music the world has ever known. And those who follow Jesus, the church, those who pray this prayer, those who learn from Jesus what it looks like to love like Jesus, we become those who learn to play the music that Jesus has given us. We become his orchestra. Jesus has written the music. We are simply the instruments that learn over time better and better how to play the music that he's given. And when we play the music... The world listens. And the world says, why? How is that so beautiful? And the only answer we could ever give is because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Do you want to come and learn how to play too? I mean, that is, that is the image that we've been given. Jesus giving us the music that we are learning to play as his church that fills the world with the most beautiful song that the world has ever known. Thanks be to God.